I am immortal, and I have no end. Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest dawn of the X-Men. When you're listening to this podcast, please live tweet and comment using those hashtags Xavier's Dream Pod and XDPod. Also, subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. Uh, Xavier's Dream Podcast is now available on Spotify. The whole Carefree Black Nerd catalog is as well. Now, subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe. (laughs) Uh, Share the show on your social medias. Instagram stories, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Tinder, dating apps. (laughs) All of that. Do that. Do that, please. And now on to episode five, Powers of X. This is what you do. All right, y'all, welcome back. Thank you all for tuning in. Now, before getting into this episode, I do want to go over the reading order for the House of X and Powers of Ten miniseries. So I've been looking at them in the back of each issue and just kind of skimming over them, not even really paying attention. Uh, But let's go through this. So first two issues were House of X issue one, Powers of Ten issue one. Next up was House of X, Issue 2, Powers of 10, Issue 2. Then we go to Powers of 10, Issue 3, House of X, Issue 3, House of X, Issue 4, Powers of 10, Issue 4. House of X, Issue 5, Powers of 10, Issue 5, House of X, Issue 6, and Powers of 10, Issue 6. I wanted to go back because I just realized that before sitting down to record, I was like, eh. Yeah, I definitely have not been paying as much attention as I should have. (laughs) All right, so diving right in, guys. This has been a wild ride. I have been enjoying this. Seeing people online try to figure out what's going on as well. People who have more knowledge of the history and continuity of the X-Men than I. Some with less. Everybody with their theories. I'm loving this. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I am loving it. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we begin with the X-Men, year 100, at the Temple of Concordance, the Church of Ascendry, Ascendancy, Ascendancy. (laughs) Now, there is a priest who appears to be kind of half metal or majority machine and some human, uh, and he's preaching this new gospel, which is robots machines phalanx i don't know um it, it it's just, it's very religious the overtones excuse me is very very religious uh he's preaching the gospel of these machine gods um the reason why i like this is because it is the threat is very different so of course with x-men we've always had humans hate and fear you they're out to kill you but this time there's an even greater threat um, and it's the men and machines. So it's no longer just the humans. And another thing that I like about this is that the humans themselves, though they are augmenting their body and turning themselves over to this machine God, they are essentially becoming the thing that they hate and fear. Like you hate the mutants and you fear the mutants and you're altering yourself in a way that gives you a leg up that allows you to serve your new masters, which seems to be still the goal is to wipe out the mutants well now you've become a mutated thing you had to get on their level quote unquote in order to wipe them out but in the 
process of doing that, you've eliminated all of humanity. Uh, and the priest says, out of his mouth, you must reject your humanity, every last shred of it. Most of all, you must reject the human heretics who still believe that mankind can improve our flawed design. Now, I said it like that <laughs> because he's overlooking this huge crowd of people who I'm going to assume are humans and some who are humans who have altered their bodies. This is very religious. Now, I grew up in the uh, Christian community, uh, so for me, it's easy to point out the things that look very Christian-like. Though the you guys who are listening who may be of a different religion, please tweet me, Carefree Blurred, use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod, and let me know for these first couple pages here, does this kind of religious um, symbolism also remind you of your own religion or any other religions that you know? Um, I'll say, though I was raised in a Christian household, this looks kind of Catholic in a sense, because the, 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 the garb of this mute, mutated human machine guy seems very Pope-ish. Um, but you know, it could be something else. Either way, let me know. Now, one of the things here, uh, one of the, the a, a famous kind of tradition in the Christian faith is the christening of the babies. That is exactly what this was giving me here. Either christening or baptism. So the guy is in his like purple top hat shoulder pad combination thing with this orb floating around above his hand and so as he's preaching out to the crowd he we come to another panel where it's him with his arms stretched there is a human baby and two cloaked individuals who are like kneeling and holding the baby up to him very much like kneeling to your god and presenting with a gift and ah this Again, I like this because it's not, I don't think it's taking a jab, or it might be, but I don't think it's taking a jab at any religion. It's more or less taking the institution of religion and putting it into an X-Men comic in a way that it. I don't think it has been before. You have your God loves, man kills, and you have your people, what is it, friends of humanity, where you're using your religion to justify killing mutants, but this is literally a new religion. This is a new religion that explicitly says we ain't we have to become better than what we are and by doing that this is the process that we take. And not to get too political, but regardless to which your religious affiliations are, these people get to see their gods walking around with them on a daily. So regardless to how you feel about it, this religion, the stuff that this guy is preaching is kind of sort of true because you it's one thing to have there be a god or god's sight unseen and having that faith these people in this book in this universe do not need faith because you have the gods the machine gods walking and talking with you every day day in and day out so the priest continues these genetic manipulators and free thinkers would have you believe that fate lies in your own hands and not the great machines of change. But they are wrong. Watch and I'll show you change. Watch and I'll show you true evolution. Yes, my truth is pain, but truth is not the worst of it. Bruh, this man, or this priest, this machine man, this Terminator, 
has this orb that essentially baptizes this baby. It shoots some ray of light at the baby's face. The baby is screaming. The baby now is still majority human, but the left side of its face is machine. Very phalanx, very Douglock, very, very much no longer completely human. No, what follows is the living with it, enduring the dichotomy, knowing there is something perfect trapped in your flawed human shell, reminding you of both what you were and what you never fully will be. This is what real worship has taught us. Better to serve in heaven than rule in human hell. Bruh. <laughs> These are only the first two pages. This is heavy as hell. So the uh, leaving majority human is signifies, you know, where you have come from. And it's so weird because, again, if you look back um, in the Bible specifically in the caste system and being born into poverty and slavery and you're just pretty much intended to live and die there in whatever state you were um, uh, born into. Well, with this, with this new religion, you will never be fully a machine. But you're no longer human. So this only being halfway or partway altered into this new machine lifestyle is to keep your human so that you can, as he said, remember what you were and keep half or parts of you machine so that you will know what you will never be. Like that is... That just puts me in the mind of now you're in this place where you are never going to ascend. Funny thing, because that's a, a big deal in the year 1000. or Well, 100 as well. But you will never ascend because the scene actually opened with that same pastor saying all humans are slaves. Which, again, when it comes to this book, I have my issues. One being race. There are a lot of whites in this book. There are a lot of white cisgendered people in this book. Um, that aside, it is a really good and interesting story. But I'm waiting. I'm not rushing, but I'm really interested to see where do we end up at issue six of Powers of X when we get to the very end of this. I don't know humongous story that Hickman is telling and it's because now I can't keep saying oh we'll put that aside oh we'll we'll move that to the side we'll move that to the back because my thing is no matter how great of a story you're telling the X-Men have always been a stand-in for different marginalized people and if we keep seeing that there's nothing but white people that's becoming a problem for me um, yes, we have machines and chimera and all the like, but whenever a person who is baseline human or looks to have a race shows up, they're all white. So because I know I saw Monet St. Croix, or who I think is M and Husk Page Gunthery on issue four of House of Eggs, I believe, I'm trying to hold off at least until then. Because with M, we're getting color. We're getting a woman of color. Though on the cover, she looked very much like a slightly darker white woman. But I digress. I have an issue with race. 
as it pertains to these new X-Books, no matter how great the story is, period. And also, women, like Rasputin, sure. Moira, kinda. But we are getting, I don't know, we're not, but whatever. Again, I'm going to try to hold off and get to issue four, and then we can kind of go from there. But man, this is starting to be tired. Um, and when that opening line said, all humans are slaves, a few things went through my head, and I can't recall them all, but I know I was waiting to see where were you going with this. Because with this book, this is the first book or set of books that I've read this way in a while, which is the old school way of like putting a paper or something on the right page so that while you're reading the left page, you're not spoiling it by glancing over at the right. But with that being said, I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. And it was a pretty satisfying series of panels. And it had it in its intended effect, but throwing around the term of slavery, it's, that's not nothing new in X-Men, but with you reshaping and doing this new rebooting and remastering and mixing and matching with the new X-Line, it was like, uh, oh, you gotta, what are you doing? I, I, I have faith in Hickman and the story he's telling, but at the end of the day, he is a cisgendered white male. So he's telling a great story and I'm enjoying what I'm reading. But I'm still, I'm not 100% in. I'm like 98% all there. But the other 2% is like, I need to see how you're going to handle people who look like me. Because if in the future, all we see is machines and white people, well, what are you actually saying? There's so many times in futuristic stories where you only get white people people you get all these mutants and these monsters and machines and talking trash cans and whatever else but you get white people and the minority that we have now becomes a very 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 few and far between minority in a lot of these stories even like the original star wars i believe there was again all white folks which cool go bro but I'd like to think that an X-Men book, at the very least, would have more color in it. Period. Okay, so, rant over. <laughs> if you agree with me, let me know. Uh, use that hashtag and comment in the comments, XDPod or Xavier's Dream Pod, and let me know your thoughts. Um, are you willing to stick it out with me as well? Um, are you just going to listen to... <coughs> excuse me listen to my show and not actually read the book either way i'd like to know make this a conversation again so during the middle of this man's or machine man's sermon there is a loud bracoom a boom <laughs> and part of the church of concordance or the temple of concordance in the church of ascendancy explodes and their steps Four badass mamma jammas. <laughs> now, I think I was watching a YouTube channel, and I forgive me for not remembering this person's name, but they mentioned this scene being Zorn, Rasputin, Rasputin IV, Cardinal, and North. And I'm, I went back and kind of glanced over, and help me out, guys. Magneto, um, his chimera makeup is that of polaris and emma frost is what the person said but i tried to go back and look it over and i'm like maybe i'm just looking in the wrong spot i wanted to hurry up and get this episode recorded so let me know is magneto the green magneto is 
his name actually North and he's a combination of Polaris and Emma Frost or and where to find it if you do know and I'm going to go back through the books of course after this is done but let me know if I've just completely overlooked it or if I heard that man wrong either way they show up this scene y'all I keep saying I want to see this on the MCU screen I want to see this man this is bad ass. Cardinal looks great. Rasputin looks great. Zorn looks like the leader who's ready to whoop some ass. And then Magneto there in the back, all shaded out. Like, I'm, it's just such a good, whew, they look like a powerhouse team. Something else that I really do like about this story that's being told is that mutants have always been this extreme power. This huge team of powerhouses, both villains and heroes and in between, who could, like, destroy a lot of shit. But with that in mind, and even the story that we've been presented with, when you see these mutants, these four, who are extremely powerful, saying in the issue prior, we're pretty much walking into our death. We're walking into a trap, or a trap of our own making, or whatever. Imagine what that is telling you. I've always had a hard time with Sentinels and Mutants because I'm like, Mutants are organic material with unlimited power, it seems, or limited in the scope of their own strength, power. Sentinels are just machines. Yeah, they can find your genetic code and wipe out mutants or whatever, but they are just machines. But I feel like Hickman has made, I've never thought that they weren't a threat, but I do feel like Hickman has made it so that Knowing how powerful mutants are and can be, the fact that these sentinels and the machines are such a threat to them, even though the numbers have dwindled, there's still a lot that they can do. That that just does something to me. Like that really, really raises the stakes. You have Zorn who has a literal black hole in his head. You have Rasputin Chimera that is a combination of so many uber powerful mutants. Cardinal alone is like, though he doesn't fight and use his powers, he is more than capable. And then whatever this Magneto, Magneto on his own is something to be uh, admired or at least whatever, looked after, I don't know, whatever, admired. <laughs> but being a combination of Polaris and Emma Frost, Lorna Dane and Emma Frost, bruh, come on. Like So again, seeing that we have these super powerful individuals who are, still are fighting for their lives with everything in them and they cannot stop now on the sentinels kind of side is that machines wouldn't get tired organic material can exhaust itself but whatever so they burst in and i want this panel framed and hung up on my wall or made into like a poster or something so zorn is like you would think with my nihilistic bent I would have some small affinity for a human apocrypha. But look at me on a suicide mission, facing sweet oblivion. Ensure of one thing. I hope for a more from humanity. A little more pride. A little more grace. And bruh, this, again, this is such a cinematic scene. I can hear the music swelling. I can hear the drum beats. I can see the smoke and wind blowing. I Like, this is badass. Like, this... This is an opening. That is an opening line right there. Surviving Soul Mutants. Apocalypse. Ensabiner. Mutant. External. The Four Horsemen. War. Wolverine. James Hollett. Mutant. Pure Blood. Death. Zorn. Kuan Yin Zorn. Mutant. 
pure blood. Pestilence, North, Dane and Frost Mix, Mutant, Chimera Second Generation. Famine, Krakoa and Cypher Mix, Mutant, Symbiotic. Surviving Soul Mutants. Cyclobell, Black Brain Telepath, Mutant, Hound. Rasputin, Choir, Bane, Pride, Rasputin and Kinney Mix, Mutant, Chimera Third Generation. Cardinal, Wagner, Gray and Freeman Mix, Priest, Mutant, Chimera Third Generation. Percival, Emmanuel Cortez, Ghost, Mutant, Pure Blood. Mother, Akaba, Mutant, Pure Blood. Huh. So, uh, yeah, really quickly, <laughs> I am a genius. So, the description of Magneto was a little further up in my notes. <laughs> Side note, I write my notes over the course of a few days. So, once I first get the issue on Wednesday, I read it over a few times, make a few notes, sit with it a while, and just make a few throughout the day. Um, it's easier for me with work and whatnot. Not that that really matters, but had I've looked a bit further... I would have remembered that I wrote notes about North, but that's neither here nor there. So the breakdown, as we see in North, is a Chimera second generation made from Lorna Dane and Emma Frost's DNA. Talk about a power house. Alright, so what is going on next is that the Omega Sentinel, uh, Karima I believe, says to Nimrod, the Church of Ascendancy is on fire. And Nimrod cannot cannot be bothered to give a damn um he's breaking down the last encounter that they had with the mutants on this big like elaborate holographic whatever he's like um and why should i care <laughs> i'm busy disassembling the variables of our recent incursion and can't be bothered with man dare i say let it burn i think so it's been far too long since we made fire and ash of humans which is Again, um, I remember reading about the Greek gods in like middle school and about how the gods got cocky and, you know, you're sitting up high on Mount Olympus and, you know, stuff came crumbling down. And this is the same feeling I'm getting where Nimrod is too laser focused on what he feels it's most important. But if you have all of these resources at your disposal, it would make sense that you would dispatch some to wherever this occurrence is um, at the church. And he just doesn't care, which is on brand for him. And it is probably going to be his downfall where Omega, she's like, mm, nah, fam, something going up. So she tells him that the feed from the humans, uh, excuse me, the human response team is that it is mutants attacking them. She said, and this is the kicker right here. The city has retasked all available Sentinel Brigades to intercept. Which, again, like I said before, I never, I, I see the Sentinels as a threat. But they're machines. Now, not Sentinels that we're getting here, which is like Phalanx, I don't know, Nimrod, imbued Sentinels. But the Sentinels before were just machines. Um, they still felt like a threat, but here in this book, even more, the fact that she says the city has retasked all available Sentinel brigades to intercept, we already know there's a man-machine war. We know that there's more than just the regular Sentinel types, though we do have those traditional-looking Sentinels. We have these man-machine hybrids. We have 
firepower that that can and has given the mutants a run for their money. What the heck? Like, so again, this is what they were saying when they were saying, hey, this is going to be a suicide mission. So Nimrod counters with, why would the mutants attack the church? In the past, they've always sought to free the humans in some hope that together they might overcome the inevitability of, well, me. And Nimrod, to me, gives a very comical breath to this book where it's a lot of doom and gloom. It is like post-apocalyptic and it is heavy. But Nimrod specifically, and I guess that comes with privilege. When you are the dominating class, things that stress out and worry others can be laughed at. You can have that sense of fancy and and carelessness and carefree and untouchableness or whatever, but that's because you are the dominant power. Does that not seem like, eh, never mind, we ain't gonna have that conversation. So Omega, she does not seem comical, but she also gives this air of, she gives me Okoye, she gives me this very much, I'm fighting for the throne, I'm fighting for my country, my kingdom. Um, though she seems to be very powerful, she still it gives me that the machine supremacy is her um, main objective and is to keep that in place. Does that sound? Uh, never mind, we ain't gonna go there. So she says, I'm not sure there's any common ground left between the two. I spent quite a bit of time among them, observing and analyzing the branching strains of homo, homo sapien culture. Ooh. Any hope of cohabitation died some time ago. In fact, while they use the same words, they don't actually speak the same language anymore. <clears throat> Let me repeat that. Though they use the same words, they don't actually speak the same language anymore. So, again, going back to a previous episode where I discussed a podcast that I listened to that is three white cisgendered heterosexual males and the one of which was very vocal about hating this book hating what you've done to his x-men this ain't how they should be it's it's again not to discuss him as if i am downing him because everyone has their own lived in experience but it's so interesting that so many people in marginalized communities that I've seen with this discussion online are, are understanding or are latching on to a lot of these themes and concepts and actual things that are happening within these books. And for this to be something that he doesn't connect with, so it's like, oh, fuck it, this is too much, or and this ain't my X-Men or whatever, a lot of us are actually seeing something of ourselves, albeit the negative fighting for your rights, constantly under surveillance, the supremacy fight and patriarchy of it all. But the fact is, a lot of us are seeing ourselves and our fight within the pages of these books, though there aren't blacks and browns in this book. We're seeing the fight that a lot of us deal with on a daily basis being told in this story. And I, I again... Not to say the people you identify with automatically mean that's what you are, but the fact that you're privileged enough to not be able to 
have that lived in experience says a lot. Um, again, like she said, use the same words, but don't actually speak the same language. So we're using the exact same English words, but our languages are vastly different. Our experiences are vastly different. Woo. Okay. Um, so guys, again, if you're listening, well, as you made it this far, uh, use that hashtag Xavier's dream pod and XD pod. Uh, tweet me carefree blurred and let me know what you're thinking about the book what you think about what i just said about the two like well omega what she said about the speaking the same words but speaking two different languages let me know what your feelings are about the story so far if you're enjoying it if you're not if you know there's things that you could pick apart things that you do like let me know so Nimrod, again, still is not motivated to move. He's so laser focused on the task at hand that this stuff that she talking about means absolutely nothing to him. So she's sitting here, not necessarily begging, but trying to get her point across. And I don't even see it as really getting your point across. It's just stating facts. This is what's going on. I've lived amongst these people. I understand what it is that they're dealing with and how they work. Um, she said, we don't sleep at all, Nimrod, because he says some joke about can't stay sleep at night. She says, in fact, that's what the mutants think is wrong with us, that we do not dream. And what's good are dreams. That dream of theirs is almost as extinct as they are. Again, though this is a literal line, Nimrod, I'm reading him very comedically. I'm reading him with intention, like he means everything he's saying. I understand the heaviness from it because he is the big bad. But there's something comical and carefree about him. And that is, it's getting me because it's like, ah, you he's not this brooding, evil, somber villain. He's like, hell, Pinocchio, he's a machine that's come to life. Uh, so she's waiting for a response. He's not giving her one. So she says, their inconsistency of action bothers me. We should investigate. And again, he is so focused. Like the entire time that they're having this conversation, Nimrod is so focused on these holographic maps. Uh, and they look like to me, at least pieces of it, if I'm not reaching, the um, the trajectory of... What is it in the last issue where we talked about the... Um, what was it? The moon? Jesus that went through the different galaxies hit the titan moon um geez man this is gonna bother me because i remember it it's on the tip of my tongue uh, <laughs> what was it let's see if i can find it here but how the um how the moon not the moon jesus christ the Nimbus, that's what it was. Ooh, okay. <laughs> the trajectory of that, um, the Nimbus, I don't know, moon, rock, or whatever that went from like the Kepier belt to Pluto orbit, um, intercepted the, uh, the moon of Titan, um, uh, Jupiter, how it like deliberately went off course to build up momentum. That's what these holographic images remind me of and i don't know um i'm sure some of that is intentional because again hickman is telling a story he is telling the story uh but yeah so pretty much while he's focused on all this 
Omega's like, all right, suit yourself. I'm gone. He's like, yeah, I always do. So here is where we move into the battle. So again, remember, we are going into a suicide mission as the mutants. We are here to do whatever it is that we're doing, and we probably will not make it out alive. We open up on Cardinal stabbing this priest through the chest or through the arm. And he says, why are you doing this? <laughs> now, Cardinal, remember, he wouldn't even lift a finger to fight during the battle with Rasputin and her sister a few issues ago. Now you killing mofos. He says, I'm a pacifist who's been pushed to the brink. But even for those like me, there comes a time when a point must be made. So today, I ate a terminal apocalypse to overcome my genetic predisposition to nonviolence. But I choose my end over yours any day. You betray your own for what? The favor of those who find contempt in your very existence? Woo! Tell me what the, like, you betray your own for the favor of those who find contempt in your very existence. Again, political or not, this reminds me of a lot of people who are self-hating. Self-hating blacks, Latinos, Asians, self-hating gays, self-people who hate their own community. You betray your own for what? The favor of those who find contempt in your very existence. Those who are quick to throw their own people under the bus, those who are quick to find one instance that the majority would take and and run with and use as their proof of they're all all of them are bad. All of that, oh, this movie with a black lead flop, so they'll never have any more again. This show with a woman lead did not do well, so oh well, they can never have it again. This black man named Nighthawk in a comic book back in 2016 did not sell, even though the solicits for him and the marketing for that book weren't like they were for the rest of the books. So we're going to shelve that. That won't come out again. It feels like a lot of people who take these instances that should be one-offs or should not mean that this marginalized group no longer gets an opportunity but they take those instances and run with it because they are those self-hating folks. That's to me, that's what I got from Cardinal speech. And I'll say it for you again. You betray your own for what? The favor of those who find contempt in your very existence? Come on. So I'm assuming everyone took one of the apocalypse seeds, but I could be wrong. Maybe it was just Cardinal. But the priest responds with, because he's been stabbed, y'all. So now he says, I do it for the great machine who is our better. I do it for my God. Hmm. So again, regardless to your religious affiliations, in this sense, in this world, in this universe, to say that I think is more true because you literally see your gods day in and day out. Not soon after he said that, his God showed up. See, God, mutant. She is here now. And so initially I thought they were just speaking about machines in general, but I think Omega is seen as their primary God, maybe her and Nimrod, or because they're referring to her as their God, maybe she is the superior to Nimrod. 
But she didn't show it up with on panel. What I'm counting is five Sentinels, but the way it's drawn suggests that there are so many more behind them. And I love it. This image, again, to see this on screen, I know is going to be badass. <laughs> so Zorn and Rasputin are fighting. And uh, well, they're getting ready to. And I I just, I'm, I'm feeling this. So finally, sweet annihilation. I have waited so long for this day to arrive. Rasputin says, they brought everyone as expected. We need to hold them off, Zorn. Distract them. So again, this... Fantastic for as Kool-Aid man intro that they didn't did into the Church of Ascendancy was just a distraction. That um that happens in the next page we get the others who they're buying time for. Apocalypse. Um this what's his name? This cipher hybrid um what is it? Famine, the Krakoa Cipher Hybrid. We get war, Wolverine, we get uh yeah so where they are is this big looks like a um commands not command center like a like the matrix like a big room with all of these files uh futuristic or whatever and so apocalypse <laughs> he's funny too but his i don't read as comical he's just funny to me i am older than even the idea of machines in that time i have changed but the smell of thieves never has there is death here. Like, <laughs> bro, what? Uh, so, Howlett, to my, yeah, you ain't been here in a while. This whole planet smells like this. How long do we need? So, the Krakoa Cypher Hybrid is attempting to find what they were looking for in the last issue. So, no sooner did they show up and do their thing, but Nimrod gets an alert. His screen goes towards the command center. We'll just call it that. Where um, where the apocalypse and the horsemen are. And <laughs> he says, ah, some other agenda. Like, clearly, like, this dude is funny. Um, so this happens. Uh, Cypher Krakoa mixture pulls out this gem. Uh, he says, I got it. We can go. Then quickly, when Krakoa holds the... Jim in his hand. Howlett starts to sniff around. He says, there's something not quite right. No sooner did this man peek his head around the corner. Another explosion. And who else but Nimrod. Interesting that I find you here. There's nothing located in this sector except old data and machine lore. I wonder, whatever were you looking for? This... <laughs> This man is <laughs> He is wild. So one thing I do like about the artwork in this issue, especially this scene, is that Nimrod attacked them. We know that Wolverine has his healing ability. It is shown uh, kind of repairing his body. Though this is a comic, the way I read this is Nimrod shot him. There's an explosion. He's walking towards them slowly. And Wolverine is slowly, even slower than normal, healing himself to the point where his adamantium skull is still showing. So again, I know it's page by page, it's panel by panel, but I feel as if this Wolverine is taking a very long time to heal himself. So we go over to the battle uh, at the church. Stay back. 
<laughs> so Cardinal is down for the count. I'm not sure if he's dead or not, but he's down for the count. We uh, zoom out, and there is Rasputin and Zorn. Rasputin has the Ileana Death Sword, Soul Sword, or whatever. The Omega Sentinel is floating above them. I've just received word. It seems Nimrod was correct. Your allies have been located and are being dealt with. This distraction will not serve any greater purpose than being to an end to you and an inconvenience to me. And then this like, I'm assuming this is the receptor where she's hearing the message from Nimrod, but it looks like a knife just comes out of her ear. But <laughs> whatever. So Rasputin is, okay, Zorn is injured. Rasputin is uh, hunched over him. Her hand on him in a protective motion, her left hand. Her right hand is holding the soul sword. And they look mad as fuck. So she says, yeah, well, here's an inconvenience. He, talking about Zorn, has a singularity in his head. If I remove the mask, then all of this will be gone in an instant. So I'm not going to tell you to stay back again. Here, and here he goes. He's coming with it. Like, it's so funny that we get this heavy apocalyptic um, story for brimstone death and a nice little mystery but i'm still getting these lighthearted notes that i don't think i got in age of apocalypse back in 94 95 ish um now it may be i haven't read that in a while but i don't think we got anything that lighthearted in that series but i digress zorn says no come closer this is the ending i've always wanted like <laughs> what the fuck so omega continues a singularity? I don't think you will. You people care too much about holding on, even when you have nothing to hold on to. Besides, do you have any idea what lies at the heart of a real black hole? I'll give you a hint. It's where you're headed. It's where we're all headed. Rasputin grabs the bottom of Zorn's mask. She says, you know what? You're right. I don't know with a like devious smirk on her face. Omega says a quiet, no. Rasputin continues, so let's find out. Bruh, she lifted this man's mask. The scene that followed was simply devastatingly, <laughs> terrifyingly beautiful. This humongous singularity black hole whatever erupts off the page. There is no more of anything. Rasputin has effectively murdered everyone, including herself, in the vicinity. The Sinister Line The second and third generation of Sinister Mutants were referred to as Chimera Class. The second Chimera generation produced mutants that had DNA composed of two separate X genes, resulting in a mutant with the mostly predictable combined power set of the source mutants. The third Chimera generation produced mutants with an amalgamated DNA featuring up to five X genes. Outside of a predictable failure rate, this third generation of Chimeras was universally successful against the man-machine supremacy. And many believe that this would be the turning point in the war. Oh, man. Okay, so with this, next thing we see is Nimrod being thrown against, I don't know, something like a wall. So Apocalypse, here, take this. You know what to do with it. Speaking to Howlett, which again, this is why I think it's taking him a while to heal, even though these two scenes may be happening at the same time 
or only a few seconds apart, Wolverine is still not fully healed from that attack. So he says, no, you go, I'll stay. If you could see what you look like, you would know how foolish that sounds. Go, I will be right behind you. So Krakoa, or Cypher and Krakoa Mix, opens up a gateway, which I do like that that idea has been planted where we don't have to rely on teleporting mutants. Like, this is just something that he can do. Um, and after he does that, Apocalypse is on his own. Now, there is a Nimrod, but there are several Nimrods. So I'm trying to think if this is a few things. One Nimrod who has split into three. There are several Nimrods, or there is one Nimrod who has split into three and not three separate entities, if I'm making sense. So again, either there are three different actual Nimrods, or there is one who is able to reproduce himself, or these are like Nimrod Sentinels. I don't know. So uh, Apocalypse hands over to... I was going to say Will Smith. Y'all, where's my head? Hands <laughs> over to Wolverine, the uh, crystal gem, the Steven Universe piece. And Nimrod is talking cash. It. Apocalypse, the mutant immortal. Older than the world. The fittest of all. And he's all this time whooping ass. How sad it must be to know that the natural selection has brought you here. Now, in the midst of this battle, Wolverine has gone into this almost bat-like stasis where it looks as if he's hanging upside down. If I recall correctly, back in issue one of House of X, there was mention of Krakoa having a few different things and it benefits for different people. And that being one, for humans, the human drugs, uh, the delivery mechanism uh, produces that extends the life, one that's an antibiotic, and then that uh, produces a drug that is cured for diseases of the mind. For mutants, there was a gateway, which we've seen being used throughout the entire series, a habitat that produces a natural self-sustaining habitat environment, and then a no place. I'm assuming that Wolverine is in this no place. The no place is, um, as it listed here, a delivery flower mechanism. No place. This non-naturally occurring flower produces a habitat that exists outside the collective consciousness of Krakoa. A place within the island ecosystem that Krakoa doesn't know exists. A Krakoan tumor. So we got uh, the Krakoan tumor. That is exactly where I think Wolverine is. Because if Nimrod... And the machines are able to read the actions and movements of the mutants. And they were able to do this until Cyclobel and Percival were murdered. I forget which one of them were the ones cloaking. I think Percival was the one who was uh, cloaking. Yes, it was Percival. Cloaking the movements of the mutants. If there's something going on that not even Krakoa is aware of within itself then why would we assume that the robots and machines know as well? So I think that is the safe haven. Again, this gives me very much bad Dracula vibe. So again, while Apocalypse is getting his ass handed to him, it seems once we get to the end that this was done purposely. But Wolverine appears in front of this gigantic tomb. 
And as he does, that's when Nimrod says, the fittest of them all. And then when Nimrod's plural gets their hand on Apocalypse's head and is like whooping his ass to know the natural selection has brought you here. That's when we see very much Dracula-like a woman in a tomb. And to this, Logan says, wake up, Mora, I have it. Woo, boy. So, this is Moira. And this is Moira. And which life, pray tell, do you think she's in? The ninth life. She's in the life with Apocalypse. So, he continues. Apocalypse knew we might need be on a clock. Oh, excuse me. Apocalypse knew we might be on a clock. So, he created some kind of way to force feed the information you need into your mind. Hold still. So Wolverine, and I, I made I add, he's still slowly regenerating. He takes the Steven Universe gem and slides it, well, holds it up to Moira's chest. Her body accepts it, like literally reaches out and pulls in the crystal. Now, what I'm thinking is, because Moira's power seems to be regeneration, she must be imbued with one of the apocalypses as well. So her body sucks it in. She has a reaction. He asks if she got it. She says, yes. She asks, now what? And he continues, if we succeed, the old man said to send you on your way because there's nothing left to save here. I, I'm sorry. It's okay. I have what I need now. And this, now before I continue, remember the whole point of them getting that crystal and going into that uh, file control center was to find out what it was that turned Nimrod on to begin with. What started, what booted him up, what's, what brought him alive, what birthed him. And that's the information that we just fed into Moira. So, she says, it's okay. I have what I need now. And this, this is what you do. Wolverine pulls out his claws stabs her deep into the chest, killing Moira Apocalypse. And so ended the ninth life of Moira X. Woo! Okay, y'all. So, oh, where are we at, y'all? Let's, let's check in. Where are we? How are we feeling about this ninth life? So, we have been kind of existing all over the place. We opened up in present day, not knowing what timeline we were in. That's what House of X, number one. Uh, we move on to discover that Moira McTaggart has had several different lives, 10 to be exact. Still under the impression that we're in the main life, not knowing if that's just a 616 continuity, if there's something different, but taking it as our own reality. We now find out that this far-flung future we've been in has been nothing but the ninth life of Moira McTaggart. Bruh. Again, Hickman wasn't lying when he said this moment between Moira and Charles is like one of the most important, if not the most important moment or panel in X-Men comics. Do you not see? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> God, so what do you guys think so far? I'm um, I'm excited. So we know that there has to be, so we have one, two, three, four, five, let me see, what lives do we have of Moira that are done? We have, 
and I'm just looking guys vamping a bit we have one two three four five seven eight nine and ten six is unaccounted for uh, once I read this issue I was like okay now how will Hickman work in multiple realities if you've eliminated everything like if we're in our ninth timeline and things are bleak if we're getting to the 10th and you just fuck stuff up really where do we go from there we do still have the sixth life um not sure when that'll come up hey are we in the sixth life right now <laughs> is the sixth one the one that's overlooking all the others like what is going on so i'm um i'm, I'm excited i'm excited I'm, I'm feeling what is going on i like trying to discover the mystery i like talking with the guys uh, guys being anyone online who's willing to discuss this X-Men stuff, what your fan theories and stuff are. That being said, send those to me. Let me know, uh, or use that hashtag, Xavier's Dream Pod or XD Pod, and let me know what you're thinking when it comes to these different lives, these different timelines, the story as we have it right now, um, the Orkeys Protocol being like Counterplo, uh, destroying the Black Wall Street, <coughs> excuse me, I mean Krakoa, uh, for the mutants, uh, just let me know. Let me know what you guys are thinking. I'm really interested in how Hickman is working with the different lives of Moira McTaggart, Moira X, rather. Um, and with there being 10 lives on the page, is that him telling us that she only has those 10 lives? Because we've, I think the conversation with Destiny was like, Yes, yeah, sis, you may be reborn, but how many times do you think you can be reborn? Like, really. How many times do you think you're going to go through this, 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 and that and before it actually ends for you? Also, if you look at the graph of Moira's lives, how 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, they all go the same way. You know, they're going forward in time and then they kind of, at that 13th year when her power manifests, it slopes down and then does its own thing. If we look at 7 and 8, same thing. It continues on. And it slopes down, whereas 8 actually goes up and it does its own thing about that 13th year. Looking at 9 and 10, two things I've noticed. With life 9, we continue on, we slope down, and we stay down. We come up a bit, but then we essentially stay down. With life 10, we continue on, but this is the only life that goes up. Now, I don't know if there's some symbolism there, if that means anything else, but this is the only life out of the 10 that in the 13th year creates the top half of this circle. It still eventually comes back down so that it, it's back in its rightful place as the 10th chronological year of Moira. But there's something there, something to that being the one, because it, excuse me, I misspoke. Life 8 does the same. Life 8 does go up, but... Life 10 is, it supersedes that life 10 is higher than life 8. So I'm, I am I wonder if that means anything or if the graph just looked pretty that way. Like, I don't know. Um, what do you guys think? What are your theories about the lives of Moira McTaggart? Or, excuse me, Moira X. The ninth life of Moira X. Year 13, Mutant Manifestation. Year 42, Apocalypse War Begins. Year 45, Avengers World Defeated. Year 49, Mutants Over Asia. Establish the capital cities of Akaba, Kyra and Tion. Year 50, Nimrod Comes Online. Year 53, Mutants Repel Second Grade Annihilation Wave. Year 56, 
Cry and John destroyed by Nan Rhodes. Akaba abandoned. Retreat to Krakon's stronghold. Year 58, formation of sinister breathing pits on Mars. Year 60, first generation sinister mutants. Year 68, second generation of sinister mutants, chimeras. Year 73, third generation of sinister chimeras. Year 88, black brain hounds created. Year 94, fourth generation of sinister chimeras. Year 98, fall of Krakoa. Death of first horseman. Year 100, collapse of Mars. Asteroid K established. Year 101, mutant exodus to Shear space. Year 104, Moira and Apocalypse formulate plan to eliminate Nimrod. Year 107, black brain hound assassination attempt on Apocalypse. Moira injured and placed in stasis. Year 113, destruction of Salcine Kenil. End of hound breeding program. Year 123, Moira dies after receiving Nimrod origin files. Alright, so, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what I'm thinking may be going on, and this is my fan theory here, is that the Dawn of X, so all of the books that are coming out of the October uh, New Age of Hickman's X-Men, I'm thinking that all of those books will be within the 10th life of Moira X, and that the rest of the House of X and Powers of Ten mini series, limited series, will exist somewhere between that ninth and tenth life. Will be us getting to that tenth life for Moira. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, that's that's my official hot take. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell me within this issue of Powers of X, or excuse me, Powers of Ten. Was Xavier's dream deferred or was Xavier's dream fulfilled? Let me know. Uh, and do you have any other fan theories or ideas of what you think might be going on? Please let me know. Hit me up on those Twitters. Carefree Blurred is my handle. Use that hashtag XDPod and Xavier's Dream Pod. Um, do you agree with what I've been saying these last few issues? Do you disagree? Is there anything that you want to add? Anything that you want to maybe clear up for me? Because something that maybe I didn't know, or maybe I said incorrectly, or whatever, let me know. Um, especially if you're listening on Spotify. Uh, hashtag Spotify when you tweet me so I'll know that you're listening on Spotify. Uh, yeah, so do all that. If you want to get in touch with me, let's say you want to leave a voicemail so that you can have your voice featured on the episode, um, email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use the subject line of Xavier's Dream Pod, Xavier's Dream, something to that effect to get my attention there. Um, rate, review, comment. Uh, find the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, um, Player FM, tons of other places. BYNKRadio.net, of course, that is the home team. And uh, let me know, rate and review on there, and let me know what you think about the show. So, guys, um, thank you. I've been your host, Rain Coleman. This has been another installment of Xavier's Dream Pod. And until the next time, guys, I want you to stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, um, stay a chimera. Uh, if you're fighting against the big bad, stay away from that church of ascendancy. Don't 
ever change for nobody. Don't become a robot in hopes that your machine God is going to take you and give you ascension. <laughs> All right, y'all. And should forever end, let me die in battle, surrounded by my fallen enemies and with blood on my sword.